0: We'll return this morning uh, to the book of 1 John, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me if uh, you have them. If not, uh, you can lean on the screen behind me, which will show uh, the passage that we are working our way through this morning. Last week, if you were here, you might remember that John, who wrote this letter to the church, who now that, that a letter that now comes to us, by inspiration and preservation of the Holy Spirit that John set us and his original readers on a course of gospel-grounded introspection. Right? After reminding us of the character, or actually first of all, of the person of Jesus Christ, a personhood that he was a witness to, an eyewitness to, after reminding us of the character of God, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, he then began to go after our walk, our lives. What our lives ought to look like in the light of who this God is, in the light of what Jesus has done. Our reflection of his light. And let me say this really clearly. The Christian's walk is grounded in the gospel. It's fueled by the gospel. And it is never in order to achieve the gospel. It's a very important order to get right and to keep in mind that yes, our lives are lives of obedience, but we don't obey in order to be forgiven. We are forgiven, and so we in Christ obey. Because knowing Jesus inevitably changes us causes us to walk like him in obedience to his commands. And that's where we camped out last week. That's what we spent some time thinking about and meditating on. So what does this look like? Well, John is going to explain, he's going to flesh out what this looks like in the entire letter, and specifically through these tests that he has come up with. Theological test, moral test, social test. And this morning, in this little bite that we're going to take this morning for just the next few minutes, John begins to go, or he begins at the very heart of the matter, before he goes elsewhere. And it's in that vein that we pick up his words this morning. So First John chapter 2, we're picking up where we left off last week with verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 14. Uh, listen as I read. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 7, reading through verse 14. John says to the church, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Repetition, repetition, repetition. So first thing I want to point out about those verses we just read. Did you hear it? Did you see it? John repeats these things over and over again. He uses the word true. Of course, not the English word, but the Greek equivalent. True, two times. Hates, two times. Brother, three times. Whoever, three times. Light, three times. And darkness, five times. So much repetition. What's John doing? Well, John is not unpacking here some heady theological truth that's just difficult for us to get our heads around. No, actually just the opposite. John is putting before the people of God, he's putting before us a very simple truth that he wants us to mull over, flipping it over in our mouth, kind of like a hard candy, over and over and over again, thinking through its significance and its potential impact upon our story, upon your story, upon your lives. And the truth is this. It's very simple. The truth is love. Love. We're on a, uh, a two-point roll through this book. I noticed that. It's been two truths every week. So we're going to stay on that train yet again today. Two things for us to meditate this morning on as we kind of think about this passage, as we kind of let it roll around in our mouths like a jolly rancher. And the first is this. Living in the light looks like love. Living in the light looks like love. This is the rippling image that begins at the beginning of the letter, really. Living in the light, John says. Living in the light through obedience. And at the heart of God's commands, at the heart of God Himself, is love. Love is what created us. It was out of the overflow of the triune love and the triune communion and community that the triune God wanted to create us, to experience that love, to experience that fellowship. Love is what created us. Love is what saved us. We've been singing about it. We've been glorying in our Redeemer, in the one who was made a propitiation for our sins so that we can be restored to that fellowship that we were intended to enjoy. And it's love that sustains us. Therefore, those whose lives are united to this God, people of light, are to be people of love. Period. By this we know that we are in him. We love. John says this is not new. It's actually pretty old. It actually is kind of new, though, he says. What's John saying here? He kind of flip-flops back and forth. Well, remember when Jesus summed up the law when he was here on earth in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. From the very beginning, from the inception of them being a people of God, It's always been about love for God and for neighbor. And so Jesus was just unifying and summarizing what God's people had known for generations upon generations, a command that was explicitly stated in Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a command that's been around from the beginning, John says. You guys ought to know this. You're supposed to be people of love. So it's old and yet there's radical newness to it. Why is there radical newness to it? Because Jesus has come. And when Jesus has come, Jesus brings newness to everything. Jesus came to earth and said things like this in John 15-12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he reiterated, and then he lived it out as I have loved you. He showed it. And not only that, but in verse 8, what is true in Him, John reminds us, what is true in Jesus is true in you and I. So we love because Jesus is the vine and we are the branches that are connected to the vine. We bear fruit because we are attached to Him because His Spirit is working in our lives. And just like last week, this is not a a flaunting or a puffing out of our spiritual chests. It's just a reality that anything that we bear fruit in, particularly in love, comes from Him and our union with Him. And so John just says, people of God, living in the light looks like love. Now John, here in this short Passage that we just read, he doesn't unpack what that love looks like. We'll get into that more as we continue to work our way through this letter. But I would point us to just a couple things about this love. First of all, this is a leading love. A leading love. In other words, it's not a love like the world loves. Those who love their brothers and sisters show themselves to be members of a different kingdom, of a kingdom of light. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In other words, this kind of love is not a love that is just nice. This is not a love that simply accepts all behavior. This is a love that is self-sacrificing, self-abasing, and ultimately a supernatural love. Because loving as people of the light is deeper and richer and true, truer than anything that the world has experienced, anything that the world can actively engage in helps us unpack a bit of what true love is like. In a very familiar passage to many of us, 1 Corinthians 13, a patient and kind love that doesn't envy, that doesn't boast, a love that's not arrogant or rude, a love that doesn't insist upon its own way, a love that's not irritable or resentful. A love that doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but only rejoices with the truth. A love that bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that we as people of the light are to be reflecting That's the kind of love that we need to be mulling over in our hearts this afternoon as we think about our interactions at work, as we think about our interactions specifically with people in this room or people who aren't in this room currently for whatever reason. And that's the other thing that John highlights in this Passage, while the call to love your neighbor as yourself, to love even your enemies as Jesus said, is part of the gospel walk, John here is talking specifically about loving brothers and sisters, isn't he? He's talking specifically about loving the family of God. And it's here that we have a unique opportunity. To stretch these muscles. And that brings us to the second truth. Just three words. Love like family. Love like family. What do I mean by that? Well, Thanksgiving is around the corner. With it, for some of you, are tensions. Tensions and challenges associated with Thanksgiving gatherings. Not for everybody, but for some, that's a very real thing. Maybe it's the mother who can't keep her judgments and her opinions to herself. Maybe it's the uncle who in unbelief whose language and example in front of your kids takes an added measure of patience and compassion. Or maybe it's another personality that you are biologically connected to that is difficult. We all know, because we all experience it, that the loving of our family isn't based upon our shared hobbies. It isn't based upon our compatibility or our Enneagram number it's grounded in something much deeper. It's grounded in genetics. It's grounded in blood So we don't just turn our back on our mother We don't just turn our back on our uncle As much of a struggle as that might be because we love them because they're family Well, John reminds us here through the way that he writes that the ties of our spiritual family, grounded in a different blood, grounded in the blood of Jesus, go deeper than any family gathering, and yet can be just, just as challenging. As we move into verses 12 through 14, many have labeled these verses, the second half of our passage, as, as kind of a pastoral parenthesis. As a way for John, in the midst of challenging and hard words for the people of God, as a way to encourage them with their secure place and secure standing before God. And I agree, I think that's, that's in part what John is doing. But I also think John is doing something more. And that's why I want to come to these verses at a slightly different angle. Because I think these verses, verses 12 through 14 in particular, are a simple reminder of the context of our supernatural love. A love for the brethren. A love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And what essentially John reminds us of, is that we're a messy family. Just like our messy families. When John addresses the church in this way, he, he's not speaking to different age groups. He's speaking to levels of spiritual maturity. He's grabbing the breadth of his congregation and all of their spiritual experiences, and he's speaking to each one as well as to those who live with them, who live alongside them. These are Christians, like like you and me, in various seasons of their lives, as they grow in grace. And like the repetition we found in the first few verses, John repeats and uses repetition to hammer home and give emphasis to these statements. So what does he say? Well, he talks about three different groups. Three different seasons of life. There's children. And again, he's not talking about children. Children. But he's talking about those who are characterized by the joy of forgiveness. Two things are said about this group of believers. They have known the Father and their sins have been forgiven. These these are the newborn in Jesus. Jesus. They've just come to know the Father in the simplest of terms. They've known their guilt for so, so long and now they feel the shocking release that comes through forgiveness in Christ. And that burden is gone off of their backs. And they've looked into the face of their judge. And what have they seen there? They've seen a Savior. The Holy Spirit has made them aware of who they are. We read in Romans 8, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Think about that picture that John gives of, of children of characterized by the joy of forgiveness. Think about to, back to, to your childhood and how you felt. I know this is complicated because some of you didn't have, uh, we all didn't have the same experience of, of security and safety even in our homes as a child, but some of us did. We, we remember that feeling. We didn't have that knowledge that led to so much responsibility. Everything was, was just taken care of. I want to go to Disneyland and not be in charge of the hotel and paying the food bill. I just want to go. Remember those days? The great preacher Charles Spurgeon describes this phase of his Christian life. He says, when my eyes first looked to Christ, he was a very real Christ to me. And when my burden of sin rolled off my back, it was a real pardon and a real release from sin to me. And when that and and when that day I said for the first time, Jesus Christ is mine, it was a real possession of Christ to me. And when I went up to the sanctuary in that early dawn of youthful piety, every song was really a song. And when there was a prayer, and when there was a prayer, oh, how I followed every word. And so it was too in silent quietude when I drew near to God. It was no mockery, no routine, no matter of mere duty. It was a real talking with my Father in heaven. And some of you remember those days. You remember that season. And you, you long for that season again. You need to rekindle in some ways what, what Spurgeon expressed in feeling that season Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Right? Children characterized by the joy of forgiveness. And then he talks about young men. He's using masculine descriptors. But it applies to everyone in this stage, young men, young women. We could call them soldiers on the front lines. Three things are said about them. They are strong, the Word of God lives in them, and they have overcome the evil one. See, the growing child has become aware of the reality of the life that he lives in of the world that he lives in no longer is his faith so simple no longer is it so secure now his faith is attacked by the pressures and the temptations of life it's not so easy to just discard the old way of living life has become in many ways a daily battleground much harder than the innocence of spiritual childhood They seek to follow the admonitions of 2 Timothy 2, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As we look on the characteristics of young men, notice that they build on one another. Why are young men so strong? Because the word of God lives in them. Psalm 119, 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Why are they able to overcome? Because of the strength they have gained from the Word of God as they have grabbed the sword of the Spirit and are fighting those daily battles. You see, many of us in this room, we find ourselves in this season, don't we? Bloodied from battle. Trying desperately to keep perspective. Winning some. Losing some. And then in between these two seasons of the Christian life, John speaks to fathers. Fathers, those who have experienced deep communion with God. These are the spiritual adults. (laughs) Those who have known the joy of forgiveness. Those who have fought the good fight. Those who through it all have really come. Really come to know the Father. Theirs is a ripe knowledge. They know their God. They've looked or they've learned to look beyond this life. They've set their affections firmly in eternity. See, most of us need to spend more time with these, (laughs) with these spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. So, So what are we to learn from all this? Why did the Lord give John these words to write? Well, first of all, in this pastoral parenthesis, as it's been said, the Lord wants to assure every person, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, he wants to assure them that in Christ, you are mine. those who have just come to know, those who have known for years, those who feel so weary because of the battles that they face. Through the gospel, no matter the season of life, in Christ, we are safe. We are secure. Right? Going to John's very purpose for writing the letter, stated at the end of the letter, these things I write so that you may know that you have eternal life. But I want to take that pastoral parenthesis and I want to take John's focus and I want to add this. That this is the context of family love. What I just walked through, all those seasons that I just described and all the incremental seasons that are made up in each of those three seasons. As a young parent, you know, one of the things you have to learn and discern is whether or not the, the, the bad behavior, the wrong behavior, I would say, the wrong behavior of your child, is it a result of rebellion or is it a result of they simply didn't know better? They hadn't learned that yet. You don't dare punish a child for something that they didn't know, that they didn't learn, that they shouldn't do. And so what I would like us to be reminded and challenged by is the fact that in the church, for better or for worse, we're all in different places. That's the simple fact. None of us have arrived So when John reminds us, when he puts before us the heart of the matter, which is love, and he says living in the light looks like love, and then he goes through all these seasons of life that the family of God exists in, and he reminds us to love like family, what does he communicate to us? He communicates to us that there's a messiness in that love. And you've heard me as your pastor say similar, similar things to you over the past year, over the past 18 months, because there is no better season for us to be challenged in this than right now. You believe that, that so-and-so should know better. And maybe they should know better. But they're not there yet. Yet. So don't despise them, but seek to love them. Sure, seek to understand them. Help them to think differently if that's appropriate. But love them now because love is patient and love is kind. And love isn't focused on self. Love bears and believes all things. And so I think one of the applications for us in this time, in this place, in this passage, is that walking in the light looks like loving the family of God when it's difficult. Letting the gospel ties that bind us show their strength to a world walking in darkness. How this kind of love might work its way into the fibers of your lives and into the interactions with those in this room and those who are not in this room i'm i don't know the holy spirit i pray will make that clear but for now let's all simply be challenged by the fact that living in the light looks like love it looks like family love and it's possible because of jesus Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a challenging passage, simple truth, a call for us to love. And yet we know that when we seek to walk in that love, oh, it becomes so difficult, it becomes so messy because our lives are full of difficult people. We ourselves are difficult people. And so I pray that we might be those who grounded in the gospel and fueled by the gospel love one another in a way that the world doesn't understand, in a way that the world marvels at, and in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Holy Spirit, take these words, your words, may they find deep root in the hearts of your people. That your word would not return to you void, but would accomplish all that you intend for it to accomplish. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen.